I do not have a Mother's Day message this morning. I asked the Lord about that several times, and it just is not what He gave me. And then, as I was sitting there contemplating, well, maybe I do. And uh, in this fact, I thinking back when we were kids, and uh, we were a little rambunctious every now and then, all five of us. And I'm sure that my mom asked the question in Psalm chapter number two, why do the heathen rage? <laughs> I'm sure she asked that question more than once. And so mothers, there you go. Um, <laughs> David had the same question as you. Psalm chapter number two, this is a different message. I can't explain to you why it's different. It is different in my mind. And I'll We'll trust the Lord to use it as he sees fit. Psalm chapter number 2. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath, and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the utmost part of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with the rod of iron, and thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings, be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and ye perish from the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. The history of the world is one of rebellion against God. The original sin in the garden with Adam and Eve was more an act of disobedience than defiance, I think. But that act of disobedience seemed to open the floodgate for defiance. Not many generations had passed in the world from that point to where uh, the Lord had to destroy the world with a flood. The people had barely gotten the population back to a reasonable number when the Lord had to divide the earth by languages because they were building the Tower of Babel in defiance against the Lord. The acts of rebellion or defiance on larger and smaller scales have dominated the world's history. On a local a national and even global level, there has been rebellion against God. These acts of rebellion have continued all down through our history, and they're even present today. In the end times, man will gather together all, they'll lock arm in arm, and try to take on the Lord and fight a large battle at the Battle of Armageddon. They will, of course, lose that battle. After a thousand years of Christ's reign, another rebellion will take place that will have as many as the sands of the sea joining it. 
it's hard to even imagine the rebellion against God. It is our long history and it is the, the, our future is rebellion against God. Now in my lifetime, I must have read the book of Psalms dozens and dozens, maybe even hundreds of times. I have read, therefore, this passage quite a few times. But for some reason, a few weeks ago when I read this passage, it really struck me, this verse number one. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? But I read it with a different emphasis, more of a question than a statement. Sometimes we read it as a rhetorical question, a question that doesn't need an answer. But if you read it with a question like it needs an answer, why do the heathen rage? That is a really good question. Why do the heathen rage? I pondered that question for some time in my office. Why do the kings and rulers stand against God? Why does the gener general population curse the Lord Jesus? Why is the history of man one long act of defiance against God? Why do the heathen rage? It's a very good question. The title of this morning's message is, David asks a good question. David asks a good question. That question is, why do the heathen rage? Why do they rage? Let's pray. Father, this is your word, and we are so thankful to have a copy of it. That means nothing, though, Father, without the Holy Spirit to teach it to us. And we are thankful that you have given the Holy Spirit as well. And we ask the Holy Spirit this morning would use your word to work in our hearts. Lord, you know the work that needs to be done in every heart and every life here. And Lord, you, we know that it is your will to do that work. So we come simply trusting you. You said, it's blessed are the men that trust you put their trust in you, and we trust you this morning to do your own work. We ask that you would use both my mouth and the, the ears of these hearers to bring truth that the Spirit can use within us. Accomplish your own work, Father, in your own way. For we ask this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. David has asked a very good question. Why do the heathen rage? Why does the human race have this long-standing rebellion against God? Before we get started, I want to make one thing very clear. This passage makes it extremely clear. You cannot separate God the Father from God the Son. This is a, there's lots of people who try to do that. Many would like to honor God the Father and dishonor or reject God the Son. It doesn't work that way. You cannot honor the Father while dishonoring the Son. You cannot honor the Son and dishonor the Father. The two are inseparable. The Trinity is inseparable. They are in perfect unity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And it is not separable. It's not possible to separate them. And so if you are in defiance against one, you are in defiance against all. That's just the way that it is. Uh, there is. And this passage makes that extremely clear. Why do the heathen rage? In human conflict in history, 
a group of people will rebel against a government or against their leadership. And there's always a reason why they do so. So I want to lay down some facts here, four facts about this, uh, before we consider, as we consider David's question, why do the heathen rage? Fact number one, God has always been gracious and treated men fairly. Fact number one, God has always been gracious and treated men fairly. If you study human history, you'll find that rebellion is generally, uh, very often happens in times of tyranny or oppression. If you were here the other night, uh, last week, the junior high, sorry, the senior high academy students put on a drama called The Tale of Two Cities. It is about the French Revolution. I do not know if you're a student of history on what was taking place at that time, but the, fairly interesting in my thinking, the French Revolution didn't happen by accident. It wasn't just one of those spur-of-the-moment things. The French aristocracy at that time was living in opulent wealth, as be the way that they would be described. Wealth that you just cannot even imagine, probably that would rival any time period in history. They were living in this luxurious ease and wealth. They had these huge homes, if you ever look at French furniture from that time period, incredibly ornate. It's almost shocking the amount of wealth that these people were living in. Right next door to them, right in their same city, right outside their gate of these huge mansions, were people who were literally starving to death. They were working in such a way that all the money was being funneled to these wealthy people who were just wasting it. Meanwhile, the people were dying of starvation right outside the gate. One of the aristocracy was noted as saying, when he was confronted with all these people who were starving to death, why don't they eat grass, he says. This was the mindset. We won't even get into the laws that protected their immoral and just unjust actions toward the people that they were ruling over, the aristocracy versus the peasants. And so it is no wonder in our thinking it was going to happen. You cannot push people that far. You cannot treat them that badly, and they're going to revolt against you if you do so. And that's what the aristocracy did, and the next thing you know, they had a guillotine set up whacking off heads. No, it went the other way, and that's a whole different subject. But this, this rebellion, this French Revolution, was not just haphazard. They were pushed to it. But we don't have to look clear to France to find oppression and abuse of power. You ever hear the old song? He loads 16 tons. And what does he get? Another day older and... St. Peter, don't you call me because I can't go. I owe my soul to, to the company store. How many have heard that song? Many of you have heard it, okay. That's not one of the great hymns of the faith, just so you know. <laughs> Some say, what in the world does that song mean? Well, back in the day, specifically the coal mines, but all of the mines at that time were its dark, dangerous work. And the, they were, the companies would set up, in order to be a benefit to the employees, they would set up a company store, a general store. And so the, 
they could sell that way to the employees at cost. Therefore, the employees' money would go farther because the company, they're eliminating the middleman, this other guy who owned a store over here, will just sell you this stuff at cost. And so they were paying the employees of these mines with vouchers. These vouchers only worked at the company store. And so everything's working great. Once they got the system in place where everybody was used to being paid by these vouchers, an interesting thing started happening. The prices in the company store started to rise to where eventually a man who is working, he's loading 16 ton in a day, he's working like a slave, he's working so hard that he cannot even afford to feed his family. And he's getting farther and farther in debt to the company store because they are abusing him. And he's, he's getting paid with a voucher that he cannot use any place but in that place that's overpriced. Now, you sit here and do, are you would you be surprised to learn in history that there was lots of strikes and mine catastrophes where these people were trying to work through this whole mess and get back? You, are you surprised that there would be some kind of a revolt against that? It doesn't surprise you. Why? Because men, when they're pushed or treated unfairly, will revolt. Now, consider the rebellion against God. Is this rebellion against God because of mistreatment or abuse of power on God's part? Think of God's treatment of man. He could have, but he didn't place man on a dark, desolate planet where food was, and water were scarce, where there's, it's barely possible to exist, and the air is toxic and putrid, and it's just a really difficult place to live. He didn't put us there. What does God do? He puts us on a beautiful planet where the air is pure and clean. There's plenty of sunshine and rain. There's plants and soil that bring forth fruit in an abundance this is where God has placed us. He's not mistreated us. Our actions on this planet have not been as they should. But God has been gracious and merciful. He has not dealt with us according to our transgressions. But his goodness has poured out on the just and on the unjust. Man in many times in his history has revolted rightly against tyranny and oppression. But not so with God. God has always been gracious and treated men fairly. So why do the heathen rage? God has always been gracious and treated them fairly. Fact number two. God desires a loving relationship with man. God desires a loving relationship with man. Hatred and revolution often stem from a, from a purpose that the authority has for its subjects. I'm, I don't know if I, can, if I said that correctly. Think about the pyramids. Think about those like structures. How are they built down through history? I'll tell you what, they, they stand as a testament to what 50,000 people can do when they're forced to do something. That's what they are. They're a testament to slave labor, what can actually be accomplished. Now, when you think about the pharaohs who are doing these projects or the other nationalities, there's lots of these in history, 
When you think about those, what did they think about the people that they were working with under them? Was this some loving relationship? I really want these slaves to help me build my pyramid so that because I really care about them. They, the people there, the slaves there were but a means to an end. There was no desire from the top to the bottom to have any type of relationship there. It was a, these people were there strictly as a means to an end. I got to get this thing built and you're the guy that's going to do it for me. This is a very common thing and they, people revolt over that. I remember reading, that's been probably 20 years ago, a book on World War II. It was about the Japanese in World War II. One of the there was a word, I can't think of the word now, it's too long past. But the word in Japanese meant two cents. Okay, that's what the word meant, two cents. The Japanese commander would call all of the soldiers under him that name, two cents. The reason that he called them that is because a postcard in Japan cost the equivalent of two cents to send. The draft notice, if you will, went out for two cents. So the commander called his people two cents because he got you for two cents and he can replace you for two cents. Now, how would you like the guy who's sending you out into battle to have that mindset? I got you for two cents and I can replace you for two cents. This kind of mentality is like, whoa, I don't think I want to serve under that kind of a deal. Because there's no, it's, you were just a means to an end. We've got to win this battle, and I'm going to throw as many of you as that, two cents at a pop, until we get this thing won. Look, is this why men have revolted against God? Because God is just using you to some means to an end? Did he create man for all the work that he can get out of him? Did he have us, view us as slaves to accomplish this task? He's, we're just mere worker bees on this planet. Well, if that's the case, he must be sadly disappointed. Can I ask you a question? What have you ever accomplished that God needed done? If he made you to work, <laughs> yeah, with a bad investment. Because what have you ever done that he needed done? What have you ever gotten accomplished for him? Nothing. Because God didn't make you that for that purpose. His, not, his plan was not one of work, but one of love. If the heathen rage, it's not because God has treated them with callousness and as a means to an end. He desires and still desires a long-term relationship with man. Why do the heathen rage? Because God has always been gracious and treated them fairly. Why do the heathen rage? Because God desires a loving relationship with man. Why are they raging? Number three, fact number three. God's plan for man is better than they can make for themselves. God's plan for man is better than they can make for themselves. I don't know about you, but I, I love gold rush history. The California Gold Rush, the Yukon Gold Rush, I love that history. I've been to Alaska several times. The town of Skagway was the jump-off point to the Golden Staircase into the Yukon. I love that history, unless you've been there. It's, it's just amazing history. 
when the gold rush news went out for the Yukon, it spread across the, the country, across the world really, an interesting thing happened. Ships from all over the world were commandeered by their the sail by the crew. And they were commandeered and sailed into the to Skagway. The entire port of Skagway was jam-packed with ships with no crews. The, by the way, the Navy calls that mutiny, okay? They wanted, they had this plan. You know, working, because the thought process, I don't know if you know about this, but the thought process was, what the, the information going around is, you could just walk around there in, in uh, the Yukon, in Alaska, picking up buckets of gold off the top of the ground, and just walk away just, you know, overnight, become overnight wealthy by picking up these big rocks, chunks of gold. They're just laying everywhere. So all these sailors, and all of the country, by the way, but all these sailors mutinied, took over the ship, sailed them to Skagway, got off the ship, left the ship, so that there's no crew now, because other than maybe the captain, got on the Golden Staircase, which is a whole other story, and went out into the Yukon. You know who got rich in the, in the gold rush? The people who were selling stuff to those guys or service for those guys, they're the only ones that got rich. The guys who went to the gold fields got pocket change. That's what they got. They thought they had a better plan. You know, picking up nuggets off the ground is much better wages than working on a ship. Their plan was not that good. Do we revolt from God? Does man rage against God because God's plans for men are so bad and man has so much better of a plan? One quick at our history, one quick at life around you, and you'll find that as they, the old timers you say, there are no great shakes. You ever heard that term? There are no great shakes? means you're no good at it. There are no great shakes at planning their future. Mankind is not, any, not very good at making long-range plans. What happens when a man makes his plan? This is all, I mean, we don't, this is almost, we hold these truths to be self-evident. You almost don't have to even mention them. Man is no good at making plans. Man makes plans and he makes goals. And if he doesn't reach those goals, if he falls short, then he feels frustrated. If he does make the goals, he finds out that the goals that he made weren't worth reaching. He gets wealth, but not happiness. He gets success without satisfaction. He gets fame without fulfillment. He gains power, but finds that it's empty. Man chases his dreams only to find out that when he gets them, he's holding an empty sack. But what about God's plans for man? His plan is one of love, joy, and peace. His plan provides fulfillment and contentment. In God's plan, a man has all of the riches of Jesus Christ in him. And he avoids the pitfalls that are common to humanity. And on top of that, man's future with God is so bright that the only way to describe it is... 
eye hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. You just can't even see how bright it is, the future with God. David has asked a good question. Why do the heathen rage? God has always been gracious and treated them fairly. God has desired and still desires a loving relationship with them. And God's plan for man is better than they could ever possibly plan for themselves, both now and forever. Why do the heathen rage? Fact number four. Rebellion is impossible. Rebellion against God, successful rebellion, is impossible. Working with teenagers is interesting. I've done it all my life. I enjoy it a great deal. There's one piece of it that is that repeats itself over and over again, and I've found myself having conversations multiple times on this same subject. A family has more than one child. They have multiple kids, boys. The one boy will be, the oldest boy will be at least a year or two older than his closest sibling. Now, in the overall spectrum of life, being two years older, when you're 50, the difference between 50 and 52 is immaterial, right? It doesn't really matter. But the difference when you're in grade school is tremendous. A two-year age group difference is, is a huge advantage. So the older boy always wins in everything. Because his mind is two years older, so he's two years smarter. So he wins when they play the games, you know, board games. He wins when they have any kind of debate or argument because he's two years smarter. And he's two years bigger. So he can, if he can't win on the other two, he pounds them into, a, into submission with his bulk. Because two years makes a difference. Okay, I think we've all seen this from the inside and from the outside. With our own kids and when we were kids. That's how it works. But an interesting thing starts to take place when they get into junior high. This two-year gap is making less and less difference. So what happens is when you get it, the older boy starts to notice that he's not quite the he-bull that he always was. And so he will start to pound even more heavily and actually do things a little un underhandedly to keep his younger brother in place. This is why all the fighting takes place in your house, by the way. Now, here's the conversation that I've had multiple times with young people in that position. I pull them aside and I say, you know, right now, all your younger brother wants is some respect. He actually, at this moment, wants to be your friend. He would settle. He's always been subservient, but he'd settle for being your friend at this moment. But if you keep going the way you're going, he's going to pass you and he's going to pound you into the ground. So you better make friends while you can make friends. That's the way life goes here. He, you're no longer going to be able to dominate him in his world. Okay, I think we all understand this. We love the underdog, right? We love the guy who, okay, they are out of their league or almost out of their league, but boy, we want to see them come up and take. Okay, we all understand that. 
we understand the age difference and you want to catch up and you know eventually throw off that mean older brother or whatever and so we kind of cheer that but my friends rebellion against God is foolishness it is an impossibility when you get it right down when you boil it right down it is it's like some punk sixth or seventh grader, when we were kids, when you were, when you were in elementary school, you never mouthed off to anybody older than you. Remember those days? What happens if you mouth off to somebody older than you? <laughs> you picked yourself off off the ground and tried to heal for the next six weeks. Because when you got home, your, par your parents would also pound you for being so mouthy. It's like a sixth grade mouthy kid who mouths off to a bunch of high schoolers. He's, I don't care. That, that, what do you call a kid that does that? Stupid. <laughs> An idiot. You are going to get pounded to death here. Now, what do you think it is if, when someone tries to rebel against God? Well, the passage spells it out. Look at it, let's look at it very quickly here. Verse number two, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. Let's rebel. What does verse number four say? He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. What does that mean? You ever seen that where some guy punches the other guy in the face? And the guy who got punched in the face just looks at him and smiles. What does that mean? The next thing that comes down the pike is going to be really bad. Look, God is not smiling like, ha-ha, this is really funny that you're rebelling. What he's, smiling, what he's laughing at is, in, he says the next path, the verse says, he shall have them in derision. Meaning, are you that stupid? Are you that stupid that you would try this against me? Verse number five. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Verse number nine. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron and shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. He's going to break you like a clay pot. Verse number 11. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and he, he perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. You might want to get into a scrap with someone who's a little bigger than you, hoping you can get in a lucky punch. But only a fool tangles with someone when the battle is impossible. Do you honestly think that God is allowing this rebellion because he cannot deal with it? Do you know the only reason why we have not been put in our place in this world is because of the grace and mercy of God? Amen. He has the ability at this very second to make life end for us. He could do whatever he wanted. Lamentation says, it is of the Lord's mercy that we are not consumed. Don't be deceived or confused. God has the power to deal with rebellion whenever he chooses. Why would the heathen pick a fight that they cannot possibly win? 
David has asked a good question. Why do the heathen rage? The facts are God has always been gracious and treated men fairly. God desires a loving relationship with man. God's plans are always better than any man could make himself. And rebellion is actually impossible. With all those facts established, why do the heathen rage? Now, there's actually only one real answer. Pride, arrogance, and stupidity is the only real answer to that. That's the only answer that I can find to David's question. But let's consider this now from a very different point. Okay, so switch gears with me here very quickly. When you think of the word heathen, why do the heathen rage? When you think of the word heathen, who do you think about? Who do you put in that category? Who, who is that represent, re representing? Okay, your mind might feel, yeah, that's the abortion crowd. Or that's the anti-God political crowd. That's the atheist crowd. That's the godless crowd that's pushing their immoral agenda on the world. Those are the heathen. All that is very true. But you know, it's very common to look at these kinds of things in a third-person capacity, like you're only an observer in this. To hear a message like this this morning and say, what are those people thinking to rage against God? Don't they know that God is gracious and loving and he's got a better plan than theirs and it's impossible to rebel? Why are those people thinking that? Why would they possibly rage against the Lord? If that's what you got from the message this morning, it has accomplished absolutely nothing. And I mean nothing. Because rebellion is wherever it is found. Rebellion is wherever it is found. And I'm guessing that in this room this morning, there's enough rebellion in our hearts to not have to look outside the door. So my question is, why do the heathen rage? Why does your heart rebel against the Lord? You say, what rebellion? What comes to your mind right now that you're fighting God on? What is the Spirit of God bringing into your mind that you are fighting Him on? You know it's not right. He knows it's not right. This is no secret to you, and you have decided that's the way it's going to be. That's exactly what all that other crowd is doing. Amen. Why do the heathen rage? The better question is, why do you rage against God? Where is that fighting spot? That sin that you're involved in, that attitude that you know is not right, that grudge that you are holding against some person, that bitterness that you are nursing, how is that any different than what all the other heathen are doing? Rebellion, a heart that is unwilling to follow God, is where you find it. And the question is, is it found in your heart? Just for a moment, I want you to set whatever you are fighting God against, I want you to set it right in your face. Right there so you can look at it. 
this item, this thing, this attitude, this whatever it is, set it right in front of you where you are fighting God and ask yourself, why am I raging against God with this when he has always treated me graciously and fairly? Why am I choosing this when God wants to have a loving relationship with me? Why am I holding on to this when his plans have always and always will be better than my own? And why am I holding on to this when fighting God on it is an impossibility anyway? It cannot be won, this fight. You've only gotten this far with it because of God's mercy. And it's time that you no longer presume on that mercy. Why do the heathen rage? It's a good question, David. If you're here this morning, why do you rage against God? If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, you joined the rebellion against God a long time ago. You are, in fact, his enemy. But God the Father sent God the Son to redeem you, to pay for your sin, to reconcile you back. Why would you rage when you can find peace with God? Why would you fight God when you can have peace with him? Why would you not join his family instead of staying apart from it? Why do the heathen rage? It's a good question, David. Why do you sit here today allowing that rebellion to continue when you could side with God. If you're here this morning and you know the Lord, what is this ongoing fight? Why? Why do the heathen rage? It's a good question, David. Let's pray.